Welcome to Lunch with Tech Leaders, where we have engaging conversations about software development and cloud engineering with industry leaders and subject matter experts. These episodes are created by the Great Lakes Tech Leaders, an online community of technology practitioners. Please come join the conversation by visiting gltl.rbn.ai. Again, that's gltl.rbn.ai. Now strap in, because we're deploying to production in three, two, one. Well, welcome to the latest episode of Lunch with Tech Leaders. My name is Ray Welker. Uh, I'm a lead cloud solutions architect here with Right Brain Networks, uh, and I'll be your host. Joining me is software and data consultant, Tom Kowalski. Say hi. Hello. Howdy. And we have our business technology consultant, Joel Coleman, Coleman also with us here today. Thank you so much, Ray. Uh, if anyone listening has any questions at all during the presentation, please uh, throw it in the chat there, and I'll be sure to interject uh, and make sure that's covered. So thank you so much. Uh, so within this episode, uh, we're going to discuss what is infrastructure and code and why is it important? Uh, this is part one of uh, a multi-episode uh, series on kind of the idea of de demystifying infrastructure as code. Um, I think in some later episodes, we can get into some more of like a comparative analysis between different uh, infrastructure as code tools, um, some strategies and best practices, and you know, what really what the role is of infrastructure as code uh, within a major project. Um, so Tom, uh, I... I, I used to, you know, also back in the day, be very much a uh, kind of a manual, um, do things, you know, rack and stack style, um, do things on infrastructure. It feels like it was not that long ago that we, uh, you know, that, that that was the norm. Do you have like a similar experience? Uh, well, it was a long time ago. So we embraced, embraced infrastructure as code almost as soon as we moved to the cloud. So... It was over 10 years ago, so, and it was a few years after that. So at least 10 years now I've been doing infrastructure. So that feels like the default to me now. And I don't like to think about the uh, the dark times. Managing, the dark times. You know, infrastructure and, yeah, nothing was uh, version controlled. Yeah, that's kind of the stuff of, stuff of like tech nightmares, right? You know, yeah. everything's out of alignment. We have no, no visibility, no audibility into what's out there in our infrastructure. And yeah, you're right. 10 years is a long enough time, I feel like, within the tech space. Um, so so that is, that is you know, like medieval times. Yeah, but I am reminded of it because uh, now I'm doing more uh, consulting work with other companies who, you know, don't have the, the best of practices, we'll say. And yeah, it uh, it, it makes me long for the, uh, the days where, you know, I get more control and, um, started everything off with infrastructure as, as code and we'll go into why all the benefits. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I guess really, you know, like what, what is infrastructure as code? What, what, what does that mean to you, Tom? To me, it means defining my infrastructure as code. Um, the basically, you know, so there's the the difference of change management, which you know you have like your Ansible and um, you know, back in the day, right? Ansible, self stack, and it kind of well, 
I'm, I'm going on a different path here. It, it means just defining what what your infrastructure is like, right? You know, declare declaratively. Some things are declaratively. Some is more imperative, like like CDK. Um, but just being able to to document it, change and have change management of of what's changing, right? So it's not random things happening in the uh, in the console and being able to see that and then apply it to multiple environments. Um, yeah, I, I keep rambling, but that's, oh, you that's, know, that's... that's the, the basics of it, right? Is defining your infrastructure as code. Yeah, definitely. Like there's the tooling aspect of it, right? Like you can write it in um, a variety of different uh, languages for, you know, like, you know, HCL for Terraform, CloudFormation, TechYaml or JSON. But yeah, it's like it is that declarative templating of your infrastructure, whereas, yeah, you have your CDK, which is kind of imperative uh, to a degree, uh, but also could be maybe defined as declarative still since we're kind of, you know, Keeping what that end state is but yeah but it's like but but even so like you have the infrastructure's code which is the the physical code itself but it's kind of like a philosophy of like devops right because you you touched on a couple different aspects there it's you have you have the versioning um and then you have kind of more of that whole model of you know audibility um in your version control which which gives a sense of ownership and also the fact that you can use that same code um, and deploy, uh, deploy it uh, in a way that is for is reusable, I guess, overall. Um, so it's kind of like a mindset thing in its own right of like what DevOps is. Yeah, and that's what, what makes it kind of hard for someone who isn't used to it to see like, okay, I already have my infrastructure. What, you know, th these are the ways that I do things. You know, I, I have my scripts that I run. What benefit you know, is there for me right now? Um, it, it, so it, it is kind of hard to, uh, to, to, to see that, right? It, it is a mind shift, yeah. like you said. Yeah, it's definitely, definitely a shift in your thinking because it, I mean, it's bridging that gap between what development practices typically are and, and, and typically how operations, well, operates. Um, and I, I feel like a lot of the times it, it puts the, aspect of developing infrastructure more in the hands of well developers or at least it's shifting the focus of what a typical operations person may be thinking to be maybe more development focused uh, for their mindset when they when they structure their infrastructure yeah i think you kind of you kind of hit it right there the the ben the biggest benefit right is is enabling that devops right that one team that can own their solution end to end uh, and the beautiful thing, right, with, with uh, infrastructure as code is I can have my entire project version controlled, right, from the testing to the pipeline, infrastructure to the code, all of it. You know, a as I'm making changes, I can I can test those in, in multiple versions. So yeah, it's that it's that mind shift, you know, that of you know if you have multiple teams and. You have an infrastructure team. If they're kind of owning the infrastructure as code, you're not getting all that benefit, right? So it, it does it does come along with a, a mind shift to get the full benefits and and reap the rewards to see that uh, that value of it. Yeah, I think that's kind of. Um, I think we should touch on like a few of those aspects of of versioning and coupled with infrastructure as code. But I think you touched on. 
the large idea there that it's it's kind of a cultural shift and it focuses more on like fostering the idea of like a shared responsibility model um whereas everyone on the team is responsible for you know delivering a reliable system uh it, it kind of gets operations closer to the developer's code base as well um and i think just kind of you know shares that that responsibility is then shared across the entire team but yeah. but yeah i mean you you mentioned like being a pretty early adopter of infrastructure as code have you noticed like any shifts in in practices and or within like the tooling and the standard uh, throughout that time frame? Yeah, I mean it's 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 always changing, right? So it, it kind of started off with cloud formation, and you know shortly after, you know they were there was Terraform. They're like, hey, we should make this uh, kind of a standard across all, uh, you know, kind of open source and uh, like a set standard across everything all the providers and or not even cloud providers but even your own infrastructure uh even on-prem infrastructure as long as it can be provisioned and you know state changed programmatically um yeah and now it's it was always declarative in that sense uh, you know really? defining things with a template but yeah now there's very powerful things with the like cdk and even terraform is doing like a, a cdk version where you can use uh used to be more imperative right have more logic in how things are done um more control good and bad i think we kind of talked about that in a in a previous episode um kind of like the 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 history a little bit but yeah there's been a lot of changes yeah there certainly has um how do you feel about config management would you would you consider config management being a form of infrastructure as code so that's kind of where I was going down that path when we first talked about it. Uh, I, it, and it kind of dabbles into other aspects of your infrastructure. I'm a huge fan of having immutable mm -hmm. um, servers or just immutable infrastructure in general, right? You're not making any changes uh, to to an, a running system. And, you know, sometimes you have to. Uh, and infrastructure code allows for that, but it, it also, you know, if you're you know, serverless environment as well, it makes it very easy infrastructure as code to spin up an exact copy of your, say, your production environment. And so that, yeah, it, it goes back and forth on config management and, and being able to change that um, and kind of not having to change your code. It allows you to do the immutable infrastructure uh, a lot easier and have to worry about config management and, and the changes to an environment. I guess, does that kind of answer your question or were you looking more? Yeah, I, I, th I think overall it does. Like um, to me, to me, config management kind of maybe strays a little bit away from the declarative nature because it is slightly imperative in the sense that you have to provide a list of steps to get to your desired endpoint. So that kind of like, mm. to me in my mind, strays a little bit away from like like how cloud formation or terraform operates where you define what the end state is and then um under the hood um either you know either terraform itself or or um say like cloud formation um you're you're strictly defining like what you want to have as your end state like i guess like for example like i could create a uh a security group in aws that that lists out 
uh, exactly what I want my egress and my ingress to look like. Huh. Say I want to, you know, let in port 22 from, uh, from a specific host. Um, and I want to allow maybe all traffic outbound. Like I know, I know that if that's in the code, that is exactly what's going to happen. Where, whereas in config management, you are maybe declaring exactly what you want. But I guess in more of an imperative, these are the steps that you need to to do to make this happen. Um, you know, maybe I need to copy in a file first, then go uh, echo that into another file, and <laughs> or maybe run like a sed command and, um, yeah, you know, yeah, certainly replace a certain prefix within a file uh, or something like that. But but yeah, I I, I think um, I. I in my mind, it kind of is a way of moving away from the old style of configuration to a more developer-minded approach, I think, of automation, which I think couples with, like, within the DevOps philosophy, um, minimizing, you know, the amount of manual changes that you would have to make within an environment to make it idempotent. Um, across the board, you know, like I, I have my config man, I have my infrastructure as code. Um, and what I have there should not change necessarily what's in my environment when I go to deploy it. Um, so yeah, it, it's kind of allowing for that immutability there as well. Um, we're no longer, or for however many times I want to deploy, I'm going to get the same result in the end. Um, but yeah, that, I think that, I think that largely would answer the question there. I, I think we'll get like into a lot of these a little bit deeper here in some future episodes, and we're kind of just scratching the surface of you know what infrastructure's code is and you know why is it important. Um, so we can dive into these a little bit deeper as well. But like infrastructure's code kind of follows the same pattern across all of your tool sets, right? They use some sort of form like of a machine readable definition file. Um, that's kind of like the heart of the infrastructure's code where, where you have your templates, where you're defining your end state, whether it's for, you know, your servers or, uh, perhaps a router or, or, you know, your, your infrastructure within your given cloud platform, you know, you, you create kind of a definition file within whatever language that tool supports, um, so that both the machine and the developer can kind of understand it. Yeah, that well, that is interesting when you say like across all services, right? That that is one catch, one kind of gotcha is some of them might not be supported by your uh, infrastructure as code, and then you need to, if you can rely on some type of escape hatch, right, of cloud information yeah. running like a function or something to to do something. But that is, you know, one. It's a lot better, you know. Really? The, as things uh, improve, but yeah, usually like new services, AWS comes out with it might not be supported for a bit. So that is one kind of downside of it. Yeah, that that's a really good point. Not everything is maybe available out the gate uh, in in CloudFormation or you know the underlying API calls it takes to to create that via um, you know your infrastructure as code when you go to actually deploy and synthesize it. So there can be there can be a waiting period there. But I think what you touched on there is also another fact of like this is this is a really why I kind of what I like about Terraform is the fact that largely we think of our infrastructure as like being our cloud resources, you know, in Azure or AWS or GCP. But like Terraform like bridges that gap even more, right? And they have 
a growing list of providers. I I don't know the exact number, but but that that number grows as more platforms adopt and support that. So I can have you know like my log my logging stack. Uh, maybe it's like Datadog or something. I, I can import that provider and I can I can within code write what I want in my logging stack, uh, which I think is a huge uh, kind of shift from like you know maybe a platform specific language like CloudFormation. I think that's one real key benefit to it that that Terraform does real well. Yeah, yeah, that is that is nice. Yeah, I mean, there's a variety of languages or, or, or tools that we could use, right? We talked about CDK, uh, where that is more of kind of an imperative approach, right? Where um, it, it kind of more so is familiar to what a developer would be writing, whether it's, you know, Python, TypeScript, Java, .NET, you know, CDK supports that. Uh, then you have your CloudFormation and Terraform, which are YAML and JSON, and then HCL for HashiCorp for Terraform. But like there's there's Polomi as well. I I don't have much experience with that myself. Um, do you, Tom? Yeah, I used it when it first came out, uh, and it was it's kind of rough. But you know, I, I've I've used Serverless Framework. It was kind of like one of the um, the first ones that went around with with Serverless. Yes, uh, it made it easy to deploy and everything. So I was very familiar with that. So when Polomi came out, it wasn't on par, right? Uh, with uh, where serverless framework was, so I didn't use it as much, but I hear it's a lot better now. So. Well, that's really interesting to hear. Yeah, I also used um, the serverless framework as well for that, and kind of kind of felt like it was an extension of like cloud formation in a way, um, for what I used it for at the time, anyways. But yeah, but yeah, there's there's I feel like all all have their uses, and you know, picking picking one of those is certainly a step in the right direction regardless of of what you choose um i am kind of a fan of writing your infrastructure in say a language that is native to the platform uh you're 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 deploying to so like i i would yeah. much prefer cdk or cloud formation if i'm going to be working strictly with aws uh, but if i'm using other services or other other platforms you know i i would maybe lean a little bit more heavy towards like terraform for the for the fact that I can you know work with multiple providers and it's it's cross platform supported, but yeah, typically I would I'd prefer to write within the language uh, or the given tool that that platform supports. Yeah, I I agree. I, most of the, everything that I've done up until a few years ago was all in AWS, and it made sense just to use the AWS native uh, supported technologies. But a lot of what I'm doing lately is across. Uh, providers and and other tool sets so yeah it makes a lot of sense now to to use terraform for some things but yeah completely agree yeah i would definitely say like yeah anybody who's maybe curious of trying to pick up one of the tools um i there, there's a there's a plethora of workshops out there um youtube lots of resources there or more so like you know even even chat gpt now these days I, I, we talk about ai a lot but I would say it does a pretty good job at writing well-structured resources um, in YAML or JSON if I'm writing like CloudFormation directly. It, it, it's kind of amazing. You know, I can describe a architecture and <laughs> it can do my least favorite portion uh, for me, which is how verbose you have to get with CloudFormation. <laughs> yeah. They, they are coming out with, um, actually... 
actually, I don't know if I can talk about that on here yet. I don't know if that's out yet, but they are making some uh, headway on on make, making that less verbose, right? Adding some uh, I guess imperative functionality right into you, cloud formation. You got some insider knowledge. Uh, yeah, I, I don't think that is out yet. Yeah, I do know okay, right. insider knowledge. Um, yeah, I'm part of like the AWS community builders. I kind of, but it should be coming out soon, I think. So maybe we can talk about that later. But yeah, I don't think it's yeah. out yet. But yeah, they are awesome making stuff. more headway on um, on making it so it isn't so verbose, but still allowing you to declare everything declaratively, right? Without you know, some things that you had to do is like, oh, I got to do this in CDK. I can do, you know, do it in like a few lines where it's like a hundred, right? If you have right. a lot of resources that you have to loop through, wink, wink. Um, yeah. Okay. Very interesting. Yeah. Keep my eyes peeled on the AWS. What's new? Um, definitely. Yeah. Or just some fruit uh, uh, further to that. Because, yeah, that is definitely one of the benefits of CDK is that uh, within the CDK, it, it, you have your various levels of constructs and some of that verboseness is peeled away from you because if I declare a resource, uh, it will make the underlying, say, for example, uh, um, the security groups that are attached to like a, um, a target within the target group, just based on how I am referencing the object for that, uh, it, it, imperatively understands that there are various network connections going on and will make those resources for me. Yeah. Um, that is, that is nice. And that's why I like serverless framework. Yeah. Right. Cause like the plugins and all of that, that's, it was very nice. What, what are some of the key features, I guess, of infrastructure as code, right? You know, we, we kind of talked at a high level. Uh, it's a, uh, it's a bridge between dev and ops. Uh, so it is kind of a mine, shift take on it so that allows for like i would say a a wider range of value that you could have if you couple it with other devops strategies right so we talked i mean um, yeah i that's, think that's one of the biggest ones that's yeah that's one of the the biggest ones i feel too and, and like i said when you can put everything together from your your test and pipeline and especially when you're in the cloud and with you know higher abstractions like serverless the infrastructure and code just blend together so it, it kind of have to it just makes so much sense to um to version all of that uh together certainly yeah and i know some organizations have a um high level of compliance that they need to make so the fact that version you know infrastructure is code and version control allows for auditors to make they have easy access to understanding when changes were made, who made those changes, and exactly you know what those changes are as it's all recorded there in like commit history. If I'm if I'm using Git for example, um, you know there's a detailed audit trail uh, that can be reviewed and traced back, which which helps meet compliance needs, but it also helps understand you know what what changes were made within this infrastructure. So in the event that I am maybe taken away from a team for X amount of time where I was dedicated to one aspect of the infrastructure. Um, if I come back to it at a later point, I can, I can look through the full commit history to see how, how this changed over time. Uh, that might allow for you to you know better find any breaking changes or, or vulnerabilities that are currently out there. Yeah. 
that I'd like to, to touch on that. That's that's a great point. When you bring up compliance, it's not just from an audit, but also from an operational standpoint uh, of enabling DevOps of, of a single team. Because a lot of compliance, you know, the interpretation of it, when you had a dev team and an operations team, the that separation of concerns, separation of duties, it was very hard to implement. But... It really comes down to you needing two people to turn the key uh, is how you can, I guess, mitigate that separation of duties. So when you have your infrastructure as code and you make it so that a merge change that triggers changes to your infrastructure uh, requires, you know, two maintainers uh, or admins to make that change, uh, that allows you to meet that compliance right don't you know talk to your audit whatever compliance specialist but that's what um allows you to mitigate that right and be able to to move faster and and meet those uh compliance requirements such as SOC 2 and uh other ones that have that i think pci you know that certain level has that as well so that's yeah a great benefit as well when you do your infrastructure as code yeah, it certainly increases the the level of visibility into into what's out there as well. Helps meet those compliance needs a lot more easily. Yeah, but I, like you touched on a really good point there is that I, I think again it, it's really a mind shift focused, and by using adopting infrastructure as code, you start to take on more of a DevOps philosophy where you're shifting more to the development focused side of it. So like you you touched on CI/CD there, which is uh, versioning of itself allows for more of a well obviously it establishes the policy internally for merging changes that are going into an active environment. So you have your you have your your um, PR strategy there of I need a reviewer for this code that's going to be changed. So hey, we need somebody to actually look at these changes, validate them, approve it. And it, it, you know, allows for multiple levels of audibility, um, ownership of, of what's going out there, uh, into your code base. But, um, yeah, it increases yeah. collaboration. You know, you, you could clone my Git repo of all my infrastructure if I gave you access to it. Yeah. Structure it so your entire organization or groups within your organization can, can share code, um, yeah, increases your collaboration or responsibility around that. Yes. Yeah, because I'm a fan of, right, take the, you're starting a new project in your organization. You usually kind of start where the last project that you did, right? The one that's furthest along kind of fork that. And when you can, you know, fork the, the infrastructure, pipeline test code, all of it together, um, yes, that really, really speed, speed things up. Yeah. And, and, I think I think what I was trying to get at is you, you touched on CI/CD, so like that in itself is a a process where we can have more automated tests and deployment processes where you know we test our changes in in perhaps a uh, you know a, a well structured um, account where I have a proper dev environment, a test environment, my production environment, so we can we can have these build processes in place that are cascading and trigger each other based on uh, maybe a proper branching and merging strategy or in tagging strategy. It's like, you know, properly tagging your infrastructure as code and your releases um, are all greater, you know, 
DevOps practices that that start to get incorporated and are enabled just by simply using this tool. But, yeah, but you yeah. don't have to do automated tests right on your on your infrastructure, right? Deploying it to uh, to one environment, running the same tests that you would with the code, uh, and then yeah, being able to deploy that exact same change to your production environment. Yeah, it's very valuable. Yeah, allows for you know your teams to release faster and provide just more reliable software delivery overall, which I think overall helps uh, the organizational reputability. Um, so, I mean, like it's, it's a change that I think for the better, if, if you are the engineer in the seat doing the hands-on keyboard work, um, I, I feel as if it's more valuable overall. Um, I, I, I feel like I have more responsibility and visibility into what the infrastructure is, is. And I think it meets a lot of, uh, broader organizations to have more faster deliveries that are, um, more reliable and, and, and meeting our targets. Definitely. Yeah, it's definitely a significant shift. Uh, it's been, been around for a while as we t touched on. Uh, but I think it's continuing to get, um, not necessarily murky, but, but, uh, there, there's more capability uh, added by the day, like in the sense that there are, I would say more policy. There, there's things such as like policy as code as well that we can maybe touch on in a later episode. But, but, but forcing policies upon your infrastructure as code, uh, and if those policies are not met, such as perhaps a policy to to tag resources, you know that 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 enforces the the overall desired state of your infrastructure. Yeah, but, it seems a lot easier to be consistent across workloads applications definitely uh so yeah in conclusion i mean this is i think a, a pretty good overview of what infrastructure as code is the values that it provides um by you know automating manual tasks allows you the visibility and and insight into what your infrastructure is by by using version control that helps again with audibility like we talked about um and just collaboration overall and allows for more automated testing and brings the ownership i'd say closer to the uh, the devs team and the operations team uh, as you as you manage resources going forward so i think in in some later episodes i think we'd like to get a little bit deeper into each of these topics um like i stated before we can do a comparative analysis of, of a few of the different tools that really highlight where some of them shine and and where maybe another tool may be lacking in a certain area uh, we can talk we can talk more about strategies and best practices i think that could be a whole episode on itself and and again yeah just maybe some real life examples and and and, and aspects that we brought to organizations throughout our careers sounds great but yeah, overall, um, you know, I want to thank everyone for for listening here today and tuning in to this episode of Lunch with Tech Leaders. Uh, we certainly hope you found the conversation informative and valuable, and we'd love to have you join us again. Our next episode, which is going to feature the uh, CEO of Right Brain Networks, Jamie Began, and uh, it'll be covering the impact of AI on tech consulting. Uh, we will have uh, some expert guests during that show and interactive conversations, so be sure to tune in. Sounds good. Thank you.
Thanks, Tom.